Good morning, everybody. Can you hear me? Yeah. And thank you for taking a punt with me. When, um, as an African, when you start preaching, people, people don't normally know when it's going to end. So please, be ready. I hope you came with sandwiches and something to eat along. Uh, it'll be a while. But um, I'll also try to keep time. <laughs> yeah. Um, today I'm going to talk about our identity. And um, the reading is from John 1, verse 1 to 12 or 13. And in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify about um, the light, so that through him everyone might believe. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light who gives the true light who gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of blood, nor of the desire or will of man, but born of God. So. Shakespeare. Juliet asked Romeo, what is in her name? And then she goes forward and answers. Yes. <laughs> Why are things named? Why? Is it simply because it appeals to the parents? Why are people named? Uh, people are named based on many reasons, not just to differentiate them or just to identify them. The reasons could be due to status. For example, um, royalty. They get multiple names mm -hmm. with a title in front. And others occasions, name due to the occasion. Particularly in the non-Western world, after an event, I'll give you an example. You've seen lots of athletes from Kenya called Kiprop, Kipsang, Kiptui. That's because of a particular reason or what was happening at that time. Um, Isaac. Why was Isaac called Isaac by his mother? Because of laughter. And why did Paul change his name from Saul to Paul? Others are named after relatives. But what's the difference between a name and identity? Um, do names give identity? Does identity give a name? These are the things I want you to be thinking along um, and remembering that verse which finishes, to those who received, to those who believed in him, he gave the right to be children of God. Now, names 
make a difference in life. And names in the Bible are quite meaningful. Sometimes it's a description of their character. What's the meaning or the character of Nabal? Nabal. He was a fool. Yeah? It was his character. And that was his name. So when we come to name our children, often people decide or they do a list, especially if they don't know whether it's a boy or a girl, and then they wait until the event has happened, and then they'll pick on one. And um, that decision is either by following a custom, a tradition, or consensus, or the will of the stronger person in the union, and then they give the name to that person. <laughs> Okay? True. <laughs> but once named, some people also struggle with the names they were given by their parents and will go to great lengths to change them. And either by a deed poll or adopting the nicknames they've been given by people. So William will be called Bill. Yeah? True. Now, in the summer, we spent a lot of time looking at God's names. Anybody remember any? Yahweh? Jireh? Any other? Elohim? Rafa? Kadesh? Jehovah Elohim, the eternal creator. El Elyon, the most high in Genesis. El Shaddai, Jehovah Jireh the Lord our provider, Jehovah Rapha, our healer, recorded in Kings, in Psalms, Jehovah Rohi, the Lord our shepherd, Jehovah Shalom, our peace, Jehovah Shama, the Lord is present, he is here. Now, when I came in this morning, I was asked, what are you talking about? And I said about our identity. And Helen said, I don't think our songs have anything to do with that. But believe you me, the spirit puts them together. And there was something about it. So, <laughs> in Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord's my shepherd. That is Jehovah Rohi. Yeah? He's our shepherd. So, in the Old Testament, it reveals God's names, and God's names in scripture are various descriptions of his character and how those relate to man's experience of God, is how he's provided, how he's healed it. And all of creation reveals something about God. As mentioned earlier, names matter in the world of the Bible, and significantly so are the names associated with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus' birth was recorded in Matthew 1, verse 18 to 21. And I'll just read a bit. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. 
he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord came to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived of her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, the birth of Jesus was foreseen by Isaiah 700 years before, and he recorded that vision in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, saying, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. So there are two things at the beginning of that verse where he says, a child is born. And that captures his human nature. He was born as a man, but he was sinless. He was given as God to us. Yeah? So it captures the duality of his character as he came to, uh, came to earth. Now, let us look at that. Wonderful. Wonderful. Everything about Jesus his life, his birth is wonderful. Virgin birth. It's not something which happens every day. Yeah? It's amazing. If you were to think about it, everything about Jesus was wonderful. So, his birth, his life, his, and his words, the way he lived. And in Luke 4.22, it captures that by saying, All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. In every interaction with people, he was that kind of person who was wonderful, who was kind. He wasn't just batting back um, when people were rough to him. He didn't. He wasn't rough to them. He was gentle. He was peaceful and he could walk right through trouble. Counselor. What's a counselor? And it is recorded, you know, you in Psalm 73, verse 24, you guide me with your counsel. You think you need to be asking yourself, Lord, to whom shall I go? To whom shall I go for guidance? <coughs> Because as it's recorded there in the Bible, John 6, 68, he has the words of eternal life. When you go to him, he guides you along those lines. So your path, your footsteps, everything you're taking, he will give you something to follow. He'll give you good counsel. Almighty God. So, 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. This is the true God and eternal life. This is the true God and eternal life. At the moment, we've got lots of challenges with cost of living, and people are suddenly draining it back. And the supermarkets and everybody's becoming clever on how to sell you the same item, 
lower weight, the same cost. Yeah? But God reveals so that you can also pull back on what you're consuming, on how to manage it. But if you don't do that, you'll find that you'll want to leave and run away and hide and do something. But with Jesus Christ, we have that. We can face life and he gives us the strength. We need to depend on him to receive the promise he has given. Everlasting Father. You know, that expression of him being described as everlasting father is just a description that Jesus is the originator. So, I, we read in 1 John, in John 1, um, let me just find what I want. Through him, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made. So, when Jesus came to the world, he told his disciples in John 10, verse 10, I have come that you may have life and have it in full. Not a small portion, not, yeah. So in this, he's being described as the originator of that which is everlasting. And he's giving everlasting to those who believe in him. He's giving it in full. He's not giving a half measure of himself. He's not giving a half blessing. He's giving it in totality. He's the author of the eternal. And you'll realize that when one trusts in Christ to save them from their sins, they become part of eternity through receiving eternal life, which is a gift offered. Yeah? Prince of Peace. In John 14, 27, Jesus tells his followers, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. This is the kind of peace where people like Corrie ten Boom went through World War II. Having that peace, it's not the absence of conflict. It's not the lack of noise. It is just that kind of peace where you can sit still and grasp that gift Christ gives. And when you reflect on it, when Jesus was on the earth walking with his disciples or even sleeping on a boat which was rocking all over and everybody was troubled, he was at peace. Even when he went to the house of Jairus and he told the people, the girl is sleeping, and everybody laughed. He held his peace, prayed for the child, and was up. So, the Prince of Peace, he is able to bring peace to any situation we are facing. And the relevance of the name Jesus, as captured in the, how it's recorded at his birth in Matthew, he was coming to save his people from their sin. His name. Jesus is the Greek form of the name Joshua. Yeshua. The Lord of salvation. So there, there are hundreds of names and titles of Jesus in the Bible. 
and each of them is revealing a part of himself in addition to what he wants to do for us. So he reveals himself and also what he wants to do for us. Each name of Jesus is a blessing to us which can only be received by faith. And Jesus was secure in his identity, both as man and as God. He wasn't um, wondering what was, where, whether he was this or that. He was secure. He was both man and he was both God. And in whatever situation he was, he knew. He declares to his listeners in John chapter 10, verse 14 to 18, that he is the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me. I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. We are the sheep. And he tells his listeners there, I have other sheep that are not of his sheep fold, but I must bring them in also, which is the Jews and the Gentiles being brought together in one fellowship in worshiping God the Father. Now, the reason the Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on, of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. He knew, that is where I talked earlier about the duality of him being man and God. He knew as God he could lay down his life and pick it up because that is the purpose he came to the world for, to save his people, to save his people from their sins. But it was only through his death that he could achieve that. Now, so that is, I had wanted to title this talk, God, the Father, the Son, and Brothers. Father, Son, and Brothers. And when you look at it, I've mentioned the names of God the Father, mentioned a few names of God the Son, but now it comes to us, our identity. How do we relate to that? At the end of creation, God reviewed his handwork, what he had done, and saw what he had made, and it was very good. And just at that point of doing that review, he had finished making man. Man was created. Genesis 1.28, it records. And man was created in innocence, in a perfect place, placed in a perfect world, and subjected to a simple test. Simple. God is simple. Uh, God's tests for man are simple, but it is us who complicate things. So, that test was, do not eat of the tree. There was plenty more good things. But because man had been told, do not eat that, suddenly everything changed. God's relationship with man was clearly defined, and it was explained to man. So, man was warned of the consequences, if he were to disobey God and eat of the tree that he had been told not to eat, there would be consequences. So God's relationship to man is defined 
by specific requirements and promises. God tells people how he wants them to act and pr promises how he will act towards man in whatever circumstance we are facing. These relationships are defined by the covenants, the first covenant, which was what he had done with the Adam at the beginning of the world, then when it fell, went next to another covenant to Ab Abraham, then that didn't do very well because man still was missing the mark and eventually the covenant about following Jesus. So, wind back a bit about how man fell in the first place. He had been given a simple test, do not eat of that tree in the middle of the garden. But man was tempted by Satan and the choice he made, the choice man made, led to a changing of the situation. Now, man either chooses to accept or reject God's conditions. We cannot negotiate with God. We cannot go and say, I want it my way. God gives us his conditions and we have to choose to follow that. So when man was tempted in the garden, he chose to disobey God. And in so doing, the relationship that God had intended for man at the beginning changed. And that relationship was a fracture between when God was able to walk with man in the garden and there was separation between God and man by sin in the middle. And so to reestablish this relationship, the Trinity had to make a way for man to be restored for that relationship, that identity, to be restored or redeemed from it, this fall. And that was an act of love by the Father to send his son to the world as a man, to live as a man under the law of Moses. Now, Jesus opened the channel for man to God. But for us to relate to Jesus, we need his Holy Spirit. If you do not have the Holy Spirit in you, you do not belong to Jesus. It says so, doesn't it? So, when Jesus opened that channel, he, and therefore, when we believe in Jesus, we have that relationship with God and the bridge, the gap. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul is writing to believers who are aware of his circumstance, that he is in prison, in trouble, he is facing hardship, but he's encouraging them that in his hardship, it is for their benefit. He is telling them, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. Paul does not conclude at this point, but goes ahead and informs them that he prays for them. And he first lets them know who he is praying to. And that is our Father. He's praying to our Father. So the relationship of, if you think you've got father, son, and brothers, brothers by relationship to Christ, by his Holy Spirit. The relationship we have 
with the Father is significant here. He is the one who gives us our identity. What is your identity? So Paul is talking about for this reason he kneels before the Father from whom every family on earth and in heaven derives its name. Derives its name. God is the origin of a believer's identity. And how can we lose this sense of identity? There are two things which can happen. Um, well, I'll try and tell you of two stories. One is um, Sir Michael Parkinson was an interviewer, very good at his job and getting people to speak. And recently when he died, there was um, a lot of reporting of the interviews they had done over time. And the one person he decided and said he was the most difficult person to interview or most interesting person to interview was Muhammad Ali. And um, of course, they recorded these and put them on. When he died, they put them back on iPlayer. So I managed to watch one. And there was one particular one which piqued my interest, where Ali was asked about uh, Elijah Muhammad, who is a mentor. And when Michael Parkinson was asking him questions which were deeper and more, um, more to the character, Muhammad Ali lost his temper and started shouting and talking nonstop back to Michael Parkinson. And the reason was Muhammad Ali conflated two issues to do with Islam and Africanism and slavery. And he thought all slaves who were taken to America were Muslims. And so therefore, he had been convinced when he was younger by Elijah Muhammad that because you are stolen as a Muslim slave and you came to America and you're given a Christian or an Anglo-Saxon name, you now need to change back to your Muslim culture. The enemy, the thief, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The concept there, there was no chance of Muhammad Ali being convinced that he was lost because he had been misled. His identity had been taken away from him. There was no chance of him recognizing that he was believing the wrong thing. The other thing is we have people who are believers in Christ, but even though they are believing, they still want to carry their load. So, I'll give you an example. Um, when you travel in, um, in countries where the public transport is not very good, you end up a lot of people in the same vehicle, but there's a luggage roof on top, and there will be shelves on the sides where you can stick your luggage. And people still want to go in there and have the weight of the, what they are carrying on top of their heads. Yet the bus or the public transport is carrying them. And when you ask them to put it down, they say, no, I'll still carry it. I'll pay for only the bus transporting me. 
the luggage is on me. That is when we don't understand our relationship with Christ. We still carry our sins on our heads and say, no, I will keep on praying for forgiveness. I will keep on praying. I'll have to confess my sins every time. The ones which you've already confessed, you're reconfessing them. Not understanding the fact that when you confess once, as far as the east is from the west, God removes them and puts them that far. People don't understand that. And the devil plays on this. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy our identity when we don't understand the depth of it. So in Corinthians chapter 2 verse, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 1 to 4, Paul is writing to them and saying, Therefore, since God's mercy, we have this ministry. Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. We have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. So that is the case for example, Muhammad Ali, who could not see that he was on the wrong path. On the other hand, for believers, we have to be secure in our position as sons of the Most High and brothers of Jesus. We need the Lord's counsel to avoid being deceived by the evil one. So as recorded by Paul again, writing to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 to 3, where he says, I hope you will put up with me with a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the snake's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Paul is quite clear in what he's praying for, for the believers in Ephesus. And he's praying that they may come to understand the breadth of what they have believed. Yeah? That they may have to grasp how wide long and high and deep the love of Christ is. And when you look at it, what is the significance of that? What does it mean for us? And it is recorded in Hebrews. And I'll actually just try and find it, where it's saying um, in Hebrews chapter 2, <laughs> And to those who are sanctified are of the same family. So that Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Of the same family. Your identity. So that Jesus can call you a brother. 
And one of those things, you just look at it and you think, people don't grasp it, don't get the concept and the freedom. And Isaiah, chapter 30, verse 18 says, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He wants to bless you. He rises up with, to show you compassion. For the Lord is a just God. Blessed are all who wait for him. Think about that. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Let us be secure in our identity. Let us be happy in our identity. Let us revel in our identity. Now, today's worship, I couldn't help but shed tears because that, that was something the Holy Spirit comes in and connects the two. You could see the Father coming in, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and then just talking to me, talking to you about your identity in him. God bless you. Be blessed. Amen.